Father God, I thank you that you have been with us this morning. Thank you for your glorious presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us, um, that does wonderful things in our heart, that enables us to enjoy the wonderful freedom of what it means to be your children. I just pray this morning that you would um, use me, Lord, to speak your words, that you would impact our hearts afresh with your truth, with your word, that we might go from here envisioned, refreshed, inspired to be all that you've called us to be. Amen. Right, so we're going to look at Acts 17, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some of this passage. The words will come up on the screen um, as I go through this. I'm going to sort of paraphrase it and go through it. So uh, Nicola, if you sort of keep up with me, that would be great um, as we go through this. So we're going to start from verse 15 of Acts 17. So the men escorted Paul, the men who escorted Paul, brought him to Athens and and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So while Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Paul is making his way on his second missionary journey through this wonderful country, and he'd come across this place the city of Athens. And he was passionate about communicating the truth of the gospel. First he went to the synagogue, and then he went to the marketplace, day by day, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Perhaps while he was in the marketplace, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So what they did, they they took him, they took Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. And they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? And then going from verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. They were deep thinkers. They were philosophers. They'd thought long and hard about the meaning of life. And they were very religious. For as I walked around the city of Athens and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. So here was Paul in the city of Athens. The city was full of idols He was distressed at what he saw, 
But there was one thing he did notice while he was sightseeing around Athens on his own. He noticed that they worshipped an unknown God. And what he was going to do was Paul was going to use this wonderful piece of information as an opportunity to explain the gospel, to proclaim the wonderful good news of Jesus to these people of Athens. And he said this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by hands. He does, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men. And that they should inhabit the whole earth. And then it goes on. And it goes on and he explains the wonderful good news to the men of Athens. But then he goes on to say that some of your own poets have said, we are God's offspring, or we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, he says, we should not think that the divine being, notice the language he uses, divine being, is a language that they would connect with. That this divine being is like, it's not like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man. And he says this, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And who is this man? They wonder. He has given proof of this to all men by raising this man from the dead. And we all know, obviously, that the man he's referring to is Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour, the one who has redeemed each and every single one of us. He's declaring and proclaiming in this wonderful meeting full of unbelievers. Jesus was raised from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead... What happened? And the same thing will happen to us. Some of them sneered. Ha! What a load of rubbish. But others said, hmm, actually, it's something interesting about what it's saying. We want to hear you more on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. And following that, a few men became followers of Paul and believed in the wonderful good news. Isn't that great? Some believed the gospel message impacted the hearts of those, some of those in that meeting. And then it mentions a member of the Oropagus became a Christian, another woman, and a number of others. What a wonderful opportunity that Paul had to proclaim the gospel, and some came to understand the truth. Today I want us to look at this passage through the lens of truth, God's truth, the proclamation of truth. Paul is never shy in declaring and revealing the truth. 
He's got himself in a, a lot of bother, as we've seen already through the book of Acts. He's been in prison for it. You know, the, he's caused problems in the synagogue. The Jews have tried to get him arrested. Try, in fact, he has been arrested. And he's not shy from declaring the truth. And so here in Athens, once again, he's arrived. He's on his own. He's declared the truth in the synagogue. He's gone. That's his first protocol. He's a, he's a Jew by birth. And he goes to the synagogue, he declares the wonderful good news. He goes to the marketplace, quite common in those days for people to stand in the marketplace and talk about what they think. Every day, he was declaring the truth of Jesus. That Jesus had lived, that he'd risen from the dead. It's a great example for all of us. You know, and so much so that the people think, actually, there's something in what he's saying. So he gets invited to this uh, special meeting at the Oropagus. And this building was formerly the most venerable judicial court of ancient Greece. I mean, I don't know if you know much about the history of Athens, but it was a, a great center for history, for literature, for architecture. You know, it was a wonderful place. Paul would have heard about it. He would have read about it. You know, I'm sure he got there thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I'm in Athens, this wonderful, great city. And he'd been invited to this council made up of these uh, philosophers. Now, if you know anything about philosophers, they love rational inquiry. They love talking and discussing and thinking about Matters of life and theology and science, they love to talk about it. So here was Paul in this situation, and it was a real massive challenge for him. You know, these guys have been well-informed, well-educated, intelligent, you know, quite intimidating, probably quite a scornful audience. But here he goes and speaks and proclaims the good news. He gets an opportunity to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. You know, all things that are true bring life and freedom. And, you know, Paul has no fear. He has no fear of man. He has no fear of what might happen to him when he declares the truth. I think sometimes we can be so gripped with fear that we don't do something. You know, I, I'm speaking from my own experience. I'm only standing here today because I've overcome fear in my own life. Fear is such a disabling thing that stops us declaring truth. And I think God wants us to grasp that he wants us to overcome fear in order to take steps of faith. God wants to impart faith in our hearts that the gospel becomes so ingrained in us that actually we just proclaim it because we, it's just, it overcomes fear. Fear can rob us so easily from speaking and proclaiming truth. Truth brings life and freedom. And sometimes we need to even declare over ourselves what's true. Truth 
brings people to salvation. But it also brings those of us who have been walking with God closer to Christ. Speaking truth brings us closer to Christ. So what is truth? In Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the truth, Dumbledore sighed. Sorry, I should have sighed that, shouldn't I? The truth is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with great caution. I think that if Jesus is the truth, it is something that should be treated with great caution. Because he's the one that can set people free. If you're really, truly seeking and find Christ, man alive, you will be set free from things that can lead you to great works for God. Winston Churchill said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Does anyone remember the film, A Few Good Men? Do you remember the line in A Few Good Men? <laughs> Tom Cruise is a, liar, a lawyer, a liar, a lawyer in a courtroom, and he, and he shouts to Jack Nicholson, I, I don't know his character's name, but he shouts to him, I want the truth! And Jack Nicholson shouts back, you can't handle the truth. You know, the truth is a dangerous thing. The truth is a dangerous thing. And I watched that clip the other day, and I might watch the film again, because it was, it's quite a powerful scene where Jack Nicholson explains why he did what he did. So this morning in my 10 minutes, <laughs> I want to look at five things. I've got more points than I've ever had, and it would typically be today. But I want to look at five things where, that help Paul proclaim the truth on this day, in this very difficult environment, he proclaimed the truth. And I want to look at those with you this morning. The firstly is this. Paul had a true perspective of who God is. He had a true perspective of who God is. The more you know and believe who God is, the more you live and speak the truth. That's true. The truth becomes real and powerful for you. And the... I've put this <laughs> talk loads of times, but I wish I hadn't. In the Oropagus, Paul spoke of God being not the maid, but the maker. The one who sustains all life and all living things. Is that something that you've grasped, that you live in the truth of each day? That God is not the maid. He's not an image that we can worship, that we'd like to worship. We don't worship anything except God because he is the one and only God. He is the maker. He's the one that created all things. He is the sustainer of life. That is the God we worship. He's the ruler of all things. And Paul said this and he followed it by saying that he created all things that people would seek and reach out to him. He communicates something to the people of Athens that he's the father of all, that he's not an object, that he's a person. He's a person that we can know and love and have relationship with. This is Paul's perspective of who God is. 
I wonder just how big our perspective of God, how big is God for you? How big is your concept of God? Secondly, Paul had a true perspective of who he is and was in Christ, which we touched on in the worship as we were worshipping God together. You know, Paul coined the phrase, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. You know, I almost felt Paul understood what it meant for the whole of his entire identity to be rooted and established in Christ. I mean, he even wrote that in Ephesians. He was in Christ. He wrote to the Galatians, for in Christ Jesus, we're all sons of God through faith. I mean, the amount of times he used the phrase in Christ. Do we have a true perspective of who we are as children of God? Wonder what we base our identity in. Is our identity rooted in Christ? No less and no more. Because if it's any less, then we start to think we're not good enough, but we are. If it's any more, then we start to think, actually, I'm pretty good. (laughs) But actually, we're not. (laughs) We are exactly perfect in Christ. Christ's righteousness is enough for each and every one of us. We are his treasure, dearly loved. You know, these are the truths, the general truths that God says about us, but God says specific truths for every single one of us that knows Christ. Specific truths. Because you are an individual, unique child of God that he loves. That he has a specific plan for your life, for what he would like you to do in serving and loving him. And in that, he speaks truth into your heart which is different from the truth he's speaking into the heart of the person next to you. You know, as I, as I was preparing, I thought I'd pick some people out and speak truth over them. And so you all see that now, is it going to be me? But you know, Michaela, you know, I thought I'd start with you because I know that you'd be fine with this. But I just really sensed and really felt that the truth about you is you are a mouthpiece for God's purposes. And you know, when you speak truth to somebody, you might think, you know what, that's exactly right. And it's common, some of it, it could be just common sense as what God says over them. But you know, when somebody speaks it over you, it can enable you to think, wow, actually, God has chosen me and put me in that place that he wants to use me in this way. And you can then step out and, and in faith that God would use that, and you can be a great testament and witness to God in using that gift that God's given you. You know, and even during the worship today, I felt God put Samson, put you on my heart in a sense that there is such a passion and, a, and just a fire in your heart for Jesus. And he loves that about you. You know, God 
has put specific words in each of our hearts that he calls us out individually. You know, we're a big family. We're God's people together. But he speaks to us all individually. And Warfi. <laughs> Don't look so shocked. <laughs> you know, I felt like God said that you're a champion for his purposes. You're a champion for his purposes. And you're an overcomer. And you're somebody that brings home victories for his purposes. You know, God has handpicked each one of us for his purposes. And I just think, let's take time to celebrate with each one of us what God has called us to be and how we can grow in that. You know, even in your life groups this week, you know, spend time prophesying over each other, building each other up. You know, let's do that more and more and more. Let's keep doing it that we might be this beacon of light and hope for the community around us. And I just got three things, if, if that is what you do in your life group, to say on that. Firstly, speak clearly so that the person receiving the word can hear it. Secondly, speak encouragingly so that the person receiving the word can be encouraged. And thirdly, speak confidently, so that the person receiving the word that you're sharing with them can receive it with faith. That is who God's called me to be. 1 Corinthians 14.3, Paul says this, everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Let's be people who speak over each other to encourage, strengthen, and comfort them. And the Holy Spirit guides us in that as you step out in faith. Great. Number three, Paul had a passion for God's glory. Paul had an awareness of God's um, true uniqueness uh, of God, that he alone was God. And he alone was to be worshipped and no one else. So you can imagine when Paul arrived in Athens and he saw this great glory, as I mentioned earlier, of this great city, it distressed him greatly. And the reason he was so distressed is because, and, and this is something as people of God that you might sometimes feel as well, and it's possible, because he sees that the great glory that should be due to God was taken up in the worship of idols, the worship of other things. And pretty much in the culture we're, we're living in, you know, that can distress us as well. And I think there are people in this church as well that God has given a burden, a healthy burden, where that distresses you. You know, and that can feel quite heavy sometimes. And what God wants us to do is give that back to him. Pray into it, intercede for our communities. Because our communities need prayer. They need prayer. But... Other ways that idols can be amongst us and they can look very different from Paul's day is an idol that is something that we regard in our hearts higher than Jesus. Anything in our hearts that we place higher than Jesus is an idol. And it can be easier to see um, perhaps idols in other people um, than in ourselves. You know, like if somebody, they've got a car, they spend every day washing it, or a house, 
I spend every weekend doing stuff to it. You know, that could be an idol. But you know, something I was thinking um, as, as I was preparing, that I think in our culture that we live today, I wonder whether we've come to a place where the most important thing in our lives is ourselves, the glory of self. You know, what my opinion is, what my rights are, you know, what my sexuality is. You know, we've come to a place where actually the glory of self rates very highly in our culture. And whether we like it or not, we're quite influenced by our culture. So I put to you that there's a a deeper level of, of where idols can rob us of being truth proclaimers, because there are things in our heart that we put higher than Jesus. You know, these can be very subtle. And they draw us away from trusting and looking to God. And they're very subtle. There might be something like, um, you know, seeking people's approval more than God's. You know, a way of working out if something is an idol, they take a lot of your thought processes. So nobody would even know. But if you spend evenings thinking about, oh my goodness, you know, I need to make sure I'm, I'm behaving like this or I need to do this for this person because if those sort of things take up your thought pattern, maybe there's something that you need to bring before God. You know, I found in the past several months that actually this is an area where God's been putting his finger on in my heart and saying, I have been like, no. And then when I sort of allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, it's a humbling thing but it's releasing when you give it to him. So how do we get rid of idols in our lives? Any ideas? Repentance, yes. Submission, repentance, yep. Repentance and faith. I think there's the repentance, which is obviously the turning away from those things, but there's the faith that Christ will come and enable you to find freedom and life as a result of it. Recognizing and identifying some treasures, some way of thinking that's more important than Jesus and turning away from it. It's as easy as that. (laughs) Idols don't bring life. You know, they bring false hope, that empty, that void of long-term satisfaction and fulfillment. The only thing that will fulfill you is Jesus. So I encourage you to reject any idol that God reveals to you in your heart. And if you, you know, if you have a friend that you talk to, you know, help them, ask them to pray with you. Help them, uh, they can help you stand, stand with you to um, turn away and run away from it. Repentance and faith in Christ enables us to find freedom. Fourthly, two more. Paul in this passage took time to understand the people of Athens. We can proclaim the truth, but as a way of proclaiming the truth, we first need to understand the people that we're talking to. Paul had spent a lot of time wandering the streets of Athens. I can imagine him popping into the tourist information, picking up his map of Athens, saying, oh, I could get to the um, you know, marketplace. I've got the uh, temples to visit. I've got the famous um, city guild hall. I want to take in all the sites. 
But as he goes around, he gets to know the city. He gets to know the people as he talks to them in the marketplace. To proclaim the truth, it's important to understand the people that God has put in our lives. Maybe friends, maybe work colleagues. And to take time to understand them and listen to them takes time. (laughs) It does. If you could think of a friend, a work colleague that you bring to mind, do you know what that person's belief system is? What they believe? Have you taken time to ask them? Have you taken time to think about what they love the most? Is it horse riding? Is it cricket? Football? Good to see Arsenal won yesterday. Do your friends like football? Show an interest. Maybe buy some tickets for taking them to a concert. Do you know your friends' values? You know, what do they value? Family? Do you know their hopes and dreams? Have you taken time to find out what someone's dream is? I think that that will help us be better proclaimers of the truth when we understand the people that God has put in our sphere, if you like. I always say it like that, of influence. Sphere. And finally, the fifth way that Paul, that helped Paul proclaim the truth was to testify how the truth impacted his own life. I mean, Paul was impacted quite dramatically, wasn't he? He was blinded and he obviously then was, um, God healed him of that. But he was a, had a great impartation of God's truth. But each of us does as well. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, then your life has been impacted by him. And you actually need to speak that out as well. There's nothing more powerful than the reality of a changed life because of Jesus. And it doesn't need to be much. It might just be, you know, I was going through a difficult week, but when I prayed to God, I found peace and comfort. That's all it needs to be. You're testifying to the fact that you trust and turn to God when things aren't going so well. You know, wonderful, Abby's wonderful testimony of being in the dentist, talking to the dentist. And I don't know how she talked. Oh, okay, I got it wrong. So it wasn't the dentist. So she did, I was able to talk. It was the optician, slightly different. But she was just talking to the optician. And, um, and the optician's been here a couple of times and visited our church. You might have met her. What was her name? Beverly. So we can be a great testimony as we talk about God, as we talk about the witness of what he's done for us. So, I think that's it. I've done my five. Claire, do you want to come up with the band? I'll just finish off and then pray for us. You know, God has given us everything we need. God has given us everything we need. But you know, even Paul, when he declared the truth, not everyone believed him. You know, and we'll have the same. Some will sneer at us, at us. 
You know, and that's, that's fine. That's okay. You know, that, that's, let's keep going. Let's keep telling people the good news because it's good news. Some ask to hear more. You know, it's wonderful. Um, Samson was telling us the other day that he had some neighbors over. You know, and he was praying that God give us an opportunity to speak to them about God. And one of the first things that the neighbor said when they walked in was, so do you guys believe in God? I mean, what an opportunity do you have there? So some people are going to ask more. Some people are going to want to know more. But some are going to find the truth as we proclaim the truth, as we declare the truth to people around us. So let's be people who speak God's truth. Okay, let's stand. I'm going to pray for us and pray that God enables us to be more like him. Father God, thank you that you are here with us, that you want us to be proclaimers of your truth. I thank you for Paul's testimony of how he declared your truth. Lord Jesus, I pray, come now by your Holy Spirit. Help us develop that perspective, God, of who you are. Help us develop that true perspective of who we are in you. I pray if there's anything in us, Lord, that we need to bring before you. Help us do that now, that we might find freedom, that we might find wholeness, that the truth becomes such a wonderful, passionate thing in our hearts that we just have to tell it to people. Help us, Lord, with the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, to be people who are full of joy and patience for people that we're talking to, the people that you've given us to be people that we proclaim the truth to and help us be confident to testify to your truth, that, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, we love you.